Well, good morning. Colin Smith, in a sermon he once preached, suggests a number of faulty metaphors or images for the church. For instance, he describes the church as a gas station. That's how some people see it. They pull in, they get filled up, they hear a great sermon, and they're ready to go for the next week. Other people think of church as a movie theater. For an hour every week, they go and kind of escape reality and get entertained. Some people, when they think of the church, they think of it in terms of a drugstore, a place to ease psychological pain, or maybe a big box retailer, a place they go and they're able to find all sorts of things that will help their family or their children or their kids, all sorts of programs that will take care of just any need that they have. And someone else describes the church as a tourist destination, a place to drop in, visit, but there's no real sense of commitment or permanence. And all of those images really are flawed. When I think of what the church is like in the mind of God, of course, I want to go to Scripture, especially the New Testament. And there we see how the New Testament describes the church. Uh, for instance, uh, Paul, he will talk about the church as the bride of Christ in Ephesians chapter 5. And if you think of the church in that way, you think in terms of the connection the bridegroom has with his bride. You think of the, the closeness and the intimacy and the blessing. One of Paul's favorite images of the church is that of the body of Christ. We are to be Jesus' hands and feet. And when you think of the church in that way, you, you think about all that Jesus would do or did do. And those are the sorts of things that we should do today as his church. But the one I want to focus on for just a moment grows out of our text today. Today we're going to be in Mark chapter 3. And there we're going to see this, this wonderful picture of how Jesus relates to us and how we relate to Jesus. And really the image that it suggests is that of a family. And so as I said in Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 20, that's where we'll be working today. Jesus enters this house and again there are large crowds and he begins to teach. And when his family hears about this, they decide to go to where Jesus is, and Mark tells us that they want to take charge of him. Now, it's a very strong word. Uh, they didn't come to listen to Jesus preach or to have conversation with him. No, they're coming to take charge of him. Now, one of the things we have seen all through Mark's gospel is that Mark pays close attention to the identity of Jesus we're introduced to who Jesus really is in the very first verse in Mark's gospel. And then when Jesus is baptized, he's coming up out of the water. God the Father speaks and he says, you are my son. The demons know who Jesus is. His own disciples, they're struggling just a little bit. And from this text, we understand that the brothers, the family, they're struggling with his identity as well. In fact, they say he is out of his mind. They're trying to save him from himself, or, or maybe they have concern for the reputation of the family. Now, one of the unique strategies in Mark's gospel is that he'll often introduce a topic, and then he'll do some teaching, and then he'll bracket that, that teaching with that same theme that he introduced it with. And we see that here in Mark chapter 3. And so in verses 20 and 21, Mark is talking about Jesus' relationship with his family. But he comes back to this idea down in verses 31 through 34. But right in the middle, again, he's going to, to 
to have this interchange with the teachers of the law, and they're struggling certainly with the identity of Jesus. It's fascinating that, that his family is, as well as these teachers. And they say that Jesus is able to do all the things that he was doing because of the power of the evil one. And so Jesus tells some, some stories, some, some parables, to refute this outrageous claim that in fact he's not possessed by the prince of the demons. No, Jesus is the son of God. And after Jesus debunks this, he goes back to talking about his family in verses 31 through 34. And so now we have this picture of, of Jesus' brothers and the mother. They're standing outside, and they send someone inside to get Jesus. And so this person weaves his way through the crowd, and when he gets up to Jesus, the people say, your, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Now, we might expect Jesus to say something like, well, let me finish the sermon. I'm, I'm in the middle of this talk. Let me just kind of wrap up what I'm saying, and we'll go out and have some conversation. Or maybe you might expect the Lord to say, hey, guys, let's make a wide path. Mom, come on down. Brothers, come on in. But he doesn't do that. Jesus does something that astounds everybody that's there. Jesus asks a question. He says, who are my mother and my brothers? And they must have thought at this point, he really is beside himself. I mean, does he not know who his mother is? Does he not know who his brothers are? And then Mark tells us that he, he looks around. Now, Jesus often does this in Mark. Four or five times you have this, this phrase, Jesus will look around. So he, he looks around and he sees these people who are seated in the circle. And here's what he says. Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my, is my brother and sister and mother. And this would have been a shocking statement. And it's a shocking statement to us even now. We read this and we have questions. We wonder, is Jesus putting off his family? Is Jesus putting down his family? Now, in the ancient world, it was an honor and shame culture. It was important to bring honor to your family. Family loyalty and heritage were huge. It's important certainly now, isn't it? But even more so then. And so we wonder, what, what does all of this mean? Is Jesus saying that his biological family, his natural family is not significant, is not important? Well, you know, that's not the case. Later on in Matthew's Gospel, in Matthew chapter 15, when Jesus refers to the Ten Commandments, one of the commandments that he highlights is the commandment that says we're to honor our father and our mother. And we, in fact, see Jesus doing this at the very end of his life. Jesus is now on the cross, and you know, when he's hanging there, suspended between heaven and earth, he makes seven statements. And one of the statements he makes is really significant in terms of family. Just imagine, here Jesus was, he's looking down at the crowd. He sees this sea of hate. And as he looks around at the crowd, he, he sees his mother. No one person gave, gave him more reason to come off that cross. And no one person gave him more reason to stay on the cross. He looks and sees the only friendly face he can find. But then, then he notices all the disciples have deserted him. But, but there's John. John is, is with his mother. And he looks over at, at her. 
And he says, woman, here's your son. He's referring to John. And then he looks at John and he says, here is your mother. And as John narrates the story, he says, from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. Something fascinating was transpiring there. Jesus was so concerned with this woman who, who taught him to walk, who taught him to pray, who changed his diapers, who raised him up. Jesus was so concerned with her at that moment that he wanted to make sure she was taken care of when he was gone. And so he was, he's in essence saying to John, I, I want you to receive my mom. She's now going to become your mom. And mom, John is now going to be your new son. It was like a new family was being forged at the foot of the cross. A deeper family. And I really think this is what Jesus is getting at in Mark chapter 3. Jesus wasn't denigrating his physical family or natural family. He wasn't saying that the woman who gave him birth and the brothers he grew up with were not significant or important. Jesus was broadening and deepening our view of family. Often our view of family may be far too small, too exclusive. And so Jesus says, whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Notice Jesus uses the word in Mark 3, whoever. Jesus welcomes all to be part of his family. All who do his will are included. Now I'm so grateful for my physical family. I'm grateful for my mother and father. I'm grateful for my sister. I'm grateful for, for being raised in the home I was raised in. And we have so many shared memories. There's so many things I love about my family. Uh, the older I get, people will say to me, Kevin, you look more and more like your dad. And I take that as a compliment. My dad's a handsome man. I, I think that's a good thing to, to hear. And yet, as, as much as I, I love my, my physical family, when I became a Christian, I came to see that, that my view of family has broadened and deepened. You see, now, if you're in Christ, you're my brother and you're my sister. And I know sometimes if we're not careful, we use those words in church, brother or sister, and it becomes almost like a title. Hello, Brother Owen, how are you doing? And yet they're not, they're not titles. It's not symbolic. It's not hyperbole. No, when we call one another brother and sister, we're not speaking metaphorically. It's describing a real, authentic relationship. Because of Jesus, we are family. We're truly family. And there are all kinds of people in the family of God. I like what Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 29, when he said, So in Christ Jesus... You're all children of God through faith. There's our family word. We're children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. In Jesus' family, in that family that was forged at the foot of the cross, there's this beautiful diversity. We're not all, all alike, but we all are one, one in Christ. We're part of Abraham's seed, 
heirs according to the promise given to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12. When God called Abraham and said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and, and through, through you all nations of the earth be blessed. Now we'll be blessed. Now we're a part of that wonderful family. Maybe you've heard the old statement, blood is thicker than water. And we use that, that statement to mean family is, is important. We are tight. We are, we are, we say, blood relatives. Well, Jesus in this passage is, is turning this idea upside down. Really what Jesus is saying today is water is thicker than blood, meaning our commitment to Jesus and to the new family he forged at the foot of the cross is the most important relationship of all. As important as our natural family or our biological families are, Jesus is teaching us that our spiritual family is even more important. When we come through the waters of baptism, the Lord makes us into His family. And in our spiritual family, in the family of God, our, knits, our, our heart rather uh, is knit together. Our hearts are knit together in love. In Galatians chapter 5, and, or rather in Romans chapter 5 and verse 5, Paul says, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And so love is the hallmark of a healthy family. And it's, it's love that's encouraging. One of the reasons we need each other, and one of the reasons we need the church is we need to be encouraged. During this, this pandemic, it's been discouraging, hasn't it? And so, so the Hebrew writer says, um, let us stimulate one another toward love and good deeds. And don't be in the habit of, of, of not meeting together, he says, all the more as you see the day approaching, encourage one another. I realize not all of us can be together right now because of what's going on, because of the pandemic and all of that. And yet one of the things this is teaching us perhaps is how deeply we need each other. I hope these messages and the worship service we're providing online will be an encouragement to you. But when we're together worshiping the Lord, it, it does. It encourages me and my prayer is that it will encourage you. We, we need to be a part of a fellowship and that's what the family of God is. It is a fellowship of encouragement. It's love that encourages, but it's also love that seen in how we serve one another. Not long after the tornadoes came through uh, in March, Andy Willis found out that we were still without power. And so he said to me, Kevin, would you like a generator? I said, well, of course, that, that'd be great. Thank you very much. And so the next day, Andy comes over with his truck and he's got this generator. And not only does he bring the generator to me, he comes inside the house, shows me how you hooked the generator up, and just a minute or two, we had power suddenly, and man, I can't, I can't tell you how great it was to be able to take a hot shower in, in, a, in a, a few, uh, in a 30 minutes or so after he turned that generator on. And then after our power came back on, Andy comes back over with his truck, and he gets, he gets the generator. Why did he do that? Why did he offer that? It's because we're family. And that's what family does. We love each other and we serve one another. Not long after the pandemic hit, Stephanie Boss decided she would, she would bake communion bread. And so she started dropping by people's houses and, and offering them this communion bread. Why is that? It's because we serve one another in the family of God. We love each other. Families do that. This love is seen in such tangible ways. Just 23 days shy of her 100th birthday, Annie Lee Johns passed away. And this past week, uh, Tammy Brown passed away. She was just 51. And it really was a wonderful thing as I watched 
how the church, how you all ministered to both of these families. You came to the funerals and you came to visitation services. You sent notes. You provided food. You offered words of encouragement to Sid and to Charlotte. And you offered words of encouragement to, to Charles and, and the rest of the family. You, you went out of your way to do nice things. Why is that? It's because we're brothers and sisters, and we're not a part of some sterile, cold organization or company. We're part of the family of God. And that's what family does. We love and encourage one another. But you know the other thing about families is that families don't always get along. Have you noticed this? Growing up, my uh, sister and I squabbled from time to time. She didn't always see things uh, my way, which, by the way, was the right way. And so we would squabble. And it's just like that, not only in our natural families, but it's like that in the spiritual family. You see, just because we have disagreements from time to time, it doesn't mean we're not family. Someone has written this poem that I, I really like. To dwell in love with saints above, why that will be glory. To dwell below with saints I know, why that's a different story. <laughs> Isn't that so true? I mean, it's easy to think about how one day in heaven we're going to dwell together. It's going to be so beautiful and so wonderful. We'll be there with God the Father, Son, and Spirit, and all the angelic host. And we'll be there with, there with all the Christians who've gone on. It's going to be perfect and wonderful and sweet. And it is. But in the time being, for the time being, we dwell with one another down here. And we're fallen, broken people with different ideas and different perspectives. And from time to time, we squabble. And yet, here's what I believe. He who unites us is far greater than he who seeks to divide us. Healthy families learn how to have hard conversations, how to love one another, even when we don't always think alike or don't always have the same perspectives. Healthy families, you see, have a tenacious love. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul tells us, love bears all things. What that means is, we don't give up on, e on each other easily. Healthy families, in fact, know that some of the greatest growth comes through trial and struggle and difficulty. But there's one more thing, and that is family helps us grow. Whenever families are born, God places that family, or that uh, when children are born, God places that child in a family. And yet, so often we individualize discipleship. We think it's about me and Jesus. And yet, if I'm going to grow as a disciple, I need a family. I need some brothers and sisters that I can come alongside. I need the church. An early church leader by the name of Cyprian once said, no one can have God as his, as his father who does not have the church as his mother. It's in the church that I grow up in Christ. I'm nurtured and disciplined and developed. I believe I said in that very, that very first, me second message actually in our uh, message series out of Mark chapter 1, that right after the gospel was proclaimed, what happens? A community is born. A community is developed. Jesus, after he proclaims the good news that the kingdom of God has come, he says, he goes and he calls Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And so it's within that community that I learned to pray. I learned to pray as I listen to some of you pray. It's in the community that I learned to be a better dad. 
as I watch some of you who are dads have great conversations with their kids, spend time with your kids. It's, it's within community that I learn to be more generous with my time and money and other resources. It's in community that I learn how to be more evangelistic as I hear about conversations you're having with coworkers, you're having with neighbors, people who are far from God. The family, you see, helps us grow. I'll never forget an experience I once had when Cindy was going through chemotherapy and her struggle with cancer. Every Friday, we would go to the uh, cancer clinic and we would sit in the cancer suite with a number of other people. I still remember it. They had these, these big, comfortable chairs and these silver poles by every chair that had a little bag of chemotherapy uh, on, on it. And uh, I, I just looked around the room, and I remember seeing people who were so different. I mean, there were people of means. I remember one a woman, she and her family, they, they owned this well-known restaurant in Albuquerque. And, um, and other people who were struggling just to make ends meet. Uh, there were Hispanic folks and, and, and white folks and black folks. There were um, older people and, and people who were middle-aged. There were young people. There were all kinds of people in this room. And yet, the one common feature was that everybody in that room had a loved one who was doing battle with, with cancer. And we would all pull for each other and encourage each other, pray for each other. Uh, we had casual conversations and we had serious conversations. But what I saw happening in that chemo suite was that God... God was developing a community. Really, in a matter of weeks, those folks became family. And after a while, I began to reflect on that, and I thought, that's not a bad picture of the church. You see, in the church, in the family of God, we're all different, different ages, different backgrounds, different perspectives, different cultures, different races. But the common feature for every single one of us is that we're struggling with that insidious thing called sin. And we're pulling for each other. We're encouraging one another. We're praying for each other. We're helping one another. We're serving and blessing each other. We all know we're in the fight against Satan. We're family. We're family through the blood of Jesus. And so listen again to those words that Jesus says in Mark chapter 3. Those are the words that he speaks to us. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. And the good news in these verses is Jesus uses that word, whoever. The invitation is to all of us. He invites all of us who will do his will to be involved and be part of his wonderful family. Thank you very much for listening today. I hope... If I can help you in some way this week, um, email me at kowen at collegehills.org. Call the church. I'd love to have further conversation with you. If you're not part of the family of God, I would love to talk with you about that. If there's any way I can help you, we would love to reach out to you and help you. We hope you have a fantastic week.